We're starting a new Bible thread series today, one that I'm excited to share with you. I call it Storylines. It's about people, places, and things that show up repeatedly in the Bible and that have special significance and meaning. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. The storyline that we're starting this new series with is Gardens. In the NIV translation of the Bible, there are more than 60 references to gardens. And for every 10 in the Old Testament, there are only two in the New. As I read through these 60 Bible references, it occurred to me that there are different kinds or types of gardens in the biblical text, and that each kind of garden has its own significance. I discovered five different types of gardens in the Bible, which we're going to talk about today. Just so you know, we're going to save the very best gardens for last. When you think of a garden, what comes to mind? If I were a betting man, I'd put money on you answering with either a vegetable garden or a flower garden. Yes? No? Maybe? When I was a kid, our family had a huge vegetable garden in our backyard. We grew potatoes, peas, beans, sweet corn, carrots, tomatoes, leaf lettuce, Acorn squash, and I'm probably missing a veggie or two in there. I recall that there was a significant amount of work to having a garden. There was the tilling, the planting, the weeding, and the harvesting. Then the next steps were in the canning and the freezing and the storing of everything that had come out of the garden. I also remember working in the summer for my aunt and uncle who lived the next town over. They had a small business growing and selling strawberries, raspberries, sweet corn, and pumpkins. My family hasn't had a vegetable garden for many years, but my wife Linda has a beautiful flower garden in our backyard. Vegetable and herb gardens are one type of garden that we find mentioned in the Bible. The first time that we hear about a vegetable garden is when God was talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. God was describing the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, located between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, the location of modern-day Israel. He told Moses, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. When the people of Israel were living in Egypt, they apparently had vegetable gardens, which they irrigated. When the people of Israel would live in the promised land, they would not rely on irrigation so much, but from water that came from heaven in the form of rain. Around 600 BC, the Babylonians, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, overthrew the nation of Judah. King Neb took the best and brightest of the people 
and carried them off to Babylon. Because the exiles would remain in Babylon for the next 70 years, the prophet Jeremiah encouraged them to build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Vegetable gardens were essential for producing food. In the New Testament Gospel of Luke, we read how Jesus confronted the Pharisees about their tithing of herbs, but their lack of love and justice. Jesus said, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So we see that herbs were planted in the gardens as well. When it comes to vegetable and herb gardens, I wonder if we miss the significance of them in the Bible. To acquire our vegetables and herbs, unlike the people in Bible times, we just hop in our car and drive to our favorite grocery store. We get a grocery card and head to the produce section. We pick out our favorites. And then we go to one of the produce coolers to get our parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Then we go to the checkout lane, pay for them, and head home. Just like that. We have the vegetables and herbs that we need. People in Bible times, if they wanted to eat, needed to plant gardens to get their food. Similar to vegetable gardens was a second type of garden. Trees and vines, olive groves, fruit tree orchards, nut trees, and vineyards. King Solomon, who was the son of King David, wrote about some of his accomplishments in the book of Ecclesiastes that involved the planting of gardens. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Also in the Old Testament, we read about a story involving the godless king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. We read in 1 Kings, Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or, if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Naboth had a vineyard that Ahab wanted, but Naboth declined the offer out of respect for his ancestors planting that vineyard. Unfortunately, saying no to the king cost him his life. Ahab and Jezebel had Naboth killed. I mentioned earlier that the prophet Jeremiah encouraged the exiles in Babylon to plant gardens for food to eat. The prophet Amos wrote about the day when the exiles would return to Jerusalem and to Judea. He said, I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. The second type of garden was also common among God's Old Testament people. 
The most well-known stand of trees in the Bible is likely the Garden of Gethsemane. It was located just outside the city of Jerusalem on a high hill known as the Mount of Olives. The hill was covered with olive trees. This was a favorite place of Jesus, where he could find solitude with his disciples. It was to this garden that Jesus went with his disciples after eating his last Passover and instituting the Lord's Supper. There Jesus withdrew a short distance further from his disciples and prayed fervently to his heavenly Father. The traitor Judas, knowing of this favorite place, led a mob to to Gethsemane, where he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas set in motion the events that would lead to Jesus' crucifixion. Again, the significance of this second type of garden for people in Bible times was that it served as another source of food and beverage. These first two types of gardens were essential to meet the physical needs of people. If you think about it, these types of gardens are essential for us as well. Many people, especially in more rural and small town areas, still have their own gardens. What's different when compared to Bible times is that we don't have to plant the gardens and harvest the food ourselves. Others will do that for us, typically on a big scale. Just think, for example, of the amount of fresh vegetables and fruit that come out of the Central Valley of of California. I sometimes think that grocery stores and farmers markets and Amazon.com are blessings that we take for granted. A third type of garden mentioned in the Bible is what I would call royal gardens. These were lavish gardens that the royals had built for their own personal enjoyment. They would be filled with all kinds of green and growing foliage. There was one such garden located just outside the city of Jerusalem. It was called the King's Garden. This garden is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. It was when King Zedekiah of Judah and his army fled Jerusalem as King Nebuchadnezzar advanced onto the city. The King's Garden was located outside the southeast wall of the city of Jerusalem. We hear about the king's garden again when the 70 years of captivity were over. We learn about a man by the name of Shalon, who was busy repairing the gates to the city of Jerusalem. We read that he also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. There was another royal garden that we read about, this one in the book of Esther. The book of Esther begins with an account of King Xerxes, the Persian ruler, hosting a banquet that lasted for seven days, and it was given for all the people living in the citadel of Susa. The banquet was held in the enclosed garden in the king's palace. And just listen to what was in this garden. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material, to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. (laughs) Now that's a garden. The historian Josephus, who lived in the first century AD, wrote in his Jewish Antiquities book about a place called Etin, 
located about 10 miles from Jerusalem. Josephus described it as delightful for and abounding in parks and flowing streams. Josephus also claimed that King Solomon liked to ride his chariot here. In Bible times, the royal gardens were pretty much for the benefit and pleasure of the royals. That's no longer the case today. There are so many royal gardens around the world, especially in Europe. For example, there is Germany's Herrenhausen Gardens, or Italy's Royal Palace of Caserta. And what's great about these royal gardens, anyone can go and see them. But I'd like to also suggest that we could add another category to the royal gardens. I'd say that our expansive system of parks, whether they be city parks, state parks, or national parks, are similar, in a sense, to the royal gardens of the Bible. But why? What's the significance of royal gardens in the Bible or those that exist today? Unlike the first two types of gardens that address physical needs, this third type of garden addresses our emotional and psychological needs. Whether it is seeing God's amazing creation in nature or the meticulously groomed gardens of Europe, they bring a sense of awe, of wonder, of how great our God is. They are spaces for rest and relaxation and a simple enjoyment of the beauty they offer. That brings us to the fourth type of garden that's mentioned in the Bible. At times, gardens were also used as burial places. If we go back to the Old Testament, we meet King Manasseh, king of Judah. Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah, who was a really good and faithful king. Manasseh was just the opposite. He was one of the most wicked kings of Judah ever. He came to the throne when he was 12 years old, and he ruled for 55 years. When he died, Manasseh was buried in his palace garden, the Garden of Uzzah, and his son Amnon succeeded him. Manasseh's son Amnon was just as wicked as his father. He was 22 when he became king, but only reigned for two years because he was assassinated by the king's officials. He, too, was buried in his tomb in the Garden of Uzzah. You're probably way ahead of me in identifying another burial place in a garden, the Garden Tomb, just outside of Jerusalem. The Gospel of John tells us, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. This was the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph and his friend Nicodemus took the dead body of Jesus off the cross, carried him to this garden, and laid him in the tomb. A couple days later, after his resurrection on Easter morning, Jesus came back to this garden and found a woman crying. Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary was in the garden mourning the loss of her Lord. 
We call them cemeteries, don't we? Most cemeteries are filled with trees and green grass, with occasional flowers laid at the headstone of the grave. It is a custom for many, when a loved one dies, to have the final committal and internment of the deceased right at the cemetery. It's a garden where people mourn the loss of their loved one's earthly life. But for Christians, it's also a time to rejoice. To rejoice in the promise that just as Jesus rose from the grave, our loved one will too. This fourth type of garden is one that addresses our emotional and spiritual needs. We've saved the best for last, and I think you'll agree. The fifth type of garden is what I would call the paradise gardens. There are two of them. And by the way, it's a Bible thread that begins in Genesis and weaves its way through to the book of Revelation. I'd like to uh, read a few verses of Genesis 2 that talk about this garden. The first one. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Garden of Eden was perfect. It was paradise. Adam and Eve lived in this perfect garden with God. And in the garden there was a tree of life. And they could eat from any other tree in the garden except just one. And not eating from the forbidden tree would be a way to express their love and thanks to their creator God who had made life perfect for them. But it didn't last. The rebellious and fallen angel Satan, in the form of a snake, came to tempt them. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Adam and Eve eventually gave in to Satan's temptation, and immediately they knew that what they had done was wrong. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Adam and Eve were banished from this paradise garden because of their disobedience of the Lord God but not before God made them a promise. God promised that in the future he would send someone to crush the head of Satan 
and restore a perfect relationship between God and mankind. That future person would be Jesus, the Son of God. For now, let's follow our Bible thread all the way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Beginning with chapter 2, the Apostle John wrote seven letters to seven churches. The letters contained praise and warnings, blessings and judgments. In the letter that John wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, in other words, who remain faithful to Jesus, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he secured for us a restored relationship with our God. Those who believe in Jesus will be able to eat from this tree of life, which is found in the paradise garden, and those who eat of it will live forever. So, what is this paradise garden? What is the paradise of God? Jesus helped us understand it as he was dying on the cross. He told the repentant thief, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. Later in the book of Revelation, John sees this paradise and hears a, a loud voice shouting, Now the dwelling of God is with mankind and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The Garden of Eden was the paradise garden that God created at the beginning of the world. When Jesus returns on the last day, he will create new heavens and a new earth, new earth where we will live with God, where we will live with God forever. Gardens. One of the storylines in the Bible with significance that goes beyond the word itself. Say, if you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast, email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Say, I just have to tell you about something coming up. You know, earlier I mentioned the garden tomb where Jesus was buried on Good Friday and where he talked to Mary on Easter Sunday. Well, on this Easter Sunday in 2021, the Time of Grace television program with Pastor Mike Novotny will be amazing. Pastor Mike will share his Easter message, not from his church, but from the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Really, I'm not kidding. Don't miss it. You can watch it on television, on YouTube, or at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening. Join me next time for another episode from our Bible Thread series entitled Storylines. God bless.